Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. President Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin met for their high-stakes summit. Here to discuss that and more is Lincoln Mitchell. He is an author and political analyst with an affiliation at Columbia University. And Lincoln, it's great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. This was a very controversial, highly anticipated, but controversial meeting. Why was it so controversial? Well, like two reasons come to mind why it was controversial. The first is that while it is there are moments in U.S. Russian or U.S. Soviet history where the American president and the leader of Russia or the Soviet Union have a few minutes one-on-one. I mean, even going back to the Kennedy-Khrushchev years. But to have an entire summit one-on-one, entire meeting one-on-one without interpreters is unusual. But then you throw in the particular dynamics here. There is a very real argument to be made that Donald Trump would not be in this job if not for Vladimir Putin. Because of the uh, because hacking of, of the election. Of the hacking of the elections. That's a very real thing. There is an ample amount of evidence to suggest that there is at best a disturbing connection between Donald Trump and Russia. Going back for, for quite a while, there has been a, even though the people around Trump, and this is to me a fascinating dynamic, the people around Trump in senior positions, and here I'm talking about the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, not for nothing, the National Security Advisor and the Vice President of the United States are all conventional Republican hawks. These are people who, whose views on Russia would not be out of place in a John McCain administration or, for that matter, a Hillary Clinton administration. But the man himself, Donald Trump's views on Russia are very, very different. Donald Trump has basically said it will be a good meeting because he'll like me or we'll like each other. That's not how diplomacy works. That's not how foreign policy works. So this makes it very unusual and rife with all kinds of potential problems. And also just the le- the pure length of the meeting. It was a, it was a lengthy one-on-one meeting with interp they had interpreters sure. there but that was it. So th- I think this meeting went on for 2 plus hours. Um, is that unconventional? <sighs> Ideally, if you are working in this White House, one of the people who there on the trip with with Donald Trump, you want this meeting to be short. You want this to be pleasantries, greetings, and let's leave it to our teams to do business. Well, it could have gone on for four hours. So two hours, is, to me, is, is the middle ground. But the longer the meeting goes on, the more troublesome that is because the fact, the reality is Putin is going to be more prepared. He's going to come in there with an agenda of what he wants. And the longer the meeting is, the more he has time to pursue that agenda. Donald Trump's agenda in this meeting, in the most benign interpretation, is to come out of the meeting with Putin liking him. So, and you say that Putin would be more prepared than Trump because we know that Trump doesn't like to get briefings from his own people. Well, Putin's always prepared and, and Trump never is. So the data and the empirical history would suggest that, yes, that's why. We know that he congratulated uh, Putin on a successful World Cup game, but didn't seem to mention anything about the 12 indictments handed down by the U.S. against these uh, Russian hackers for the election. Uh, in, in a perfect world, what should Trump have said either publicly or behind closed doors to Putin about the election? Well, if you want to look at it, the I mean, perfect worlds are, are very hard to imagine, but in a better world, okay, we would have had a, the Republican-controlled Congress would have, I, I understand that regardless of what Trump actually did, and the evidence is pretty clear that Mueller's onto something here, he, need, he wants to protect himself, right? That's normal human instinct. His goal is to stay out of jail and stay in power. So keeping that in mind, I understand what him saying this isn't part of it. There was no collusion. He keeps saying that, that. I don't know if that's true or not, but he keeps saying that. But to me, what's striking is the Republican-controlled Congress could have said, 
we don't think Donald Trump was involved with this, but we're going to make darn sure it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pass a battery of laws. We're going to set up a bipartisan commission. We're going to bring the secretaries of state together, not to go after fake voting fraud, right, which is what they did, you know, fake immigrant voting fraud, which is not a thing, doesn't exist, mm -hmm. but to make sure to tighten our security so that Russia or no other foreign power can do this again. And then in that slightly better world, Trump would have come to this summit meeting and said, listen, Mr. Putin, here's what we're doing. You stay out of our elections. Well, that didn't happen. But moreover, nothing close to that happened. And there are several reasons for that. One is that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are not great legislatures. They are trying to cover their own selves here because they knew this was happening in mid-July, mid-summer of 2016. They kept quiet about it. That's the key moment. That's when they became co-conspirators mm -hmm. in this process. So they weren't going to do much about it, right? The other reason is Because Ryan's that, on his way out now, too, Ryan's so he just wants out. it to go away. But, but, but this is exactly when Ryan could say, I'm going to position myself as a patriot, not some kind of sweaty guy in a gym with a dog-eared copy of Ayn Rand oh, in my back goodness. pocket, which is what his career has largely... That's the image he has with the American people. But they didn't do that, which to me also, if you're Vladimir Putin, who's a pretty sharp guy, I mean, not a big fan of his, but he's not a dummy... What he's interpreting this as is, hmm, I got to do this again. I got to keep this guy in office. Mm -hmm. Because he sees the infighting within the, the Republican Party over this. Well, he also sees, if he's watching the, this closely, to me, what's, what's significant here is that the Republican Party at the rank and file is becoming increasingly pro-Putin. Part of that is because Trump and Putin is kind of friendly with Putin. And part of that is that Putin has supported a lot of these ultranationalist, white supremacist movements. He has positioned himself as the defender of kind of white European conservative values, which resonate with some of uh, the president's most ardent supporters. So Putin sees his stock, if you will, rising within the Republican base, not so much the Republican leadership, who is still pretty firmly anti-Putin and mm -hmm. pretty firmly wants to contain Russian power. But that's changing. So what do you see the U.S. standing to benefit post this meeting, this summit between these two leaders? Can, oh, can we gain anything? Tuesday. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh, no. So you, you don't see any upside to this summit I mean, no, for the U.S.? No, of course US. not. Of, of course not. No, I, I think that's— uh, Isn't having good relations with Russia ultimately a good thing for the U.S.? I don't know. I would think that a president of the United States, regardless of party— and here I would draw your attention to our previous two presidents who were of different parties before Donald Trump— would, benef would, would, would have a policy, and I believe America would benefit from policy that says— we are going to – we are trying to limit Russian aggression. In my view, it is not in America's interest that Russia can take Crimea, which is part of Ukraine, which is – I know Putin doesn't see this way, but for the record, is a sovereign, independent state, right. Ukraine I'm talking about. Right. Now, you may say to yourself, Crimea is very far away. The people over there speak Russian. What does that have to do with me? Well, that's a good question. But – it is not in America's interest that powerful countries can seize territory from weaker countries around the world. And that is a precedent that if you're Putin, and I talk to leaders in Central Asia, I certainly talk to leaders in the South Caucasus, and we all know what leaders in the Baltic states think, which is they fear this can happen to them. Now, if you're in the Baltic states, which is the closest, and they're small, they're tiny little countries, right. what do you think they're thinking? What do you think protects them? NATO. NATO. And right? what is our relationship what, right so, now So now like this has happened. So, so the last two weeks, this doesn't benefit the United States in any meaningful way. No. Mm -hmm. But it seems to, on the flip side, benefit Putin 
and his regime in a very big way. Yes, and it also benefits Donald Trump, but l'état n'est pas Donald Trump, right? I mean, there's more to it than that. Let's talk about these two personalities coming together. These are two men who have, who are, who are narcissistic, who seem to enjoy their positions very much. They enjoy the position of power. Um, are getting is that perhaps why it's important to Mr. Trump that I really want Mr. Putin to like me? Well, you know, I, it's personal. For it them, is, it's personal. You know, and, and, there is, and I think there's kind of a pathology of many American presidents that everything is always personal, right? Mm. Trump has taken it to, to a much greater degree, and Obama to a much, probably less than the average president. But, you know, I think LBJ, and we're going back in history a long time, but LBJ, I think there was a part of LBJ that always believed he could end the war in Vietnam if he could just sit down in a room with Ho Chi Minh. Right. I don't think that's true that that would have happened, but that is part of the American political ethos. I think the difference here with Donald Trump is his need to be liked is so extreme. That he will. That's why, you know, if I, I if I can make an, an analogy, if you were a baseball general manager running a team and Donald Trump was running another team in your league, you would always call Donald Trump when you wanted to make a trade because he would trade you his best you know pitching prospect for some backup catcher as long as you flattered him on the phone for thirty minutes first, mm -hmm. right? So he's a terrible negotiator because it's all about how I feel in the moment, and uh, the Russian leader Vladimir Putin is smart enough to realize that and and to manipulate that now. Again, the harder question is what does he want, what does Putin want from this meeting, other than kind of keep this chaos going, you're doing the right thing about NATO, we're going to get along, I like you. He's going to say all those things, mm -hmm. I would think, because mm -hmm. that's going to continue what he get what he needs from Donald Trump. The other issue is that, and this goes back to the longer meeting question that you raised earlier, Donald Trump's capacity to understand sophisticated information is very limited. So what, when he says... Um, uh, when he says, I don't need to be briefed. You know, there's a lot of material on parenting and, and child development that says, when your child says to you, I'm bored, mm -hmm. what they mean is I don't understand it. So when he says, I don't need to be briefed, that's the toughness shielding that I can't really understand the briefing material. Mm -hmm. But I think Putin is the opposite. He can be briefed. He can understand the briefing material. So that's why a longer meeting, again, is troublesome. What closer tie, would closer ties to Russia put more pressure on China's relationship with the U.S.? If China saw that we were getting cozier with Russia? The, the, this is a complicated trilateral relationship mm -hmm. between these three powers. And we should begin by noting that of those three powers, Russia is by far the third of the three. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons that your question is a tough one is that our ties with Russia, our economic ties with Russia, are nothing compared to our economic ties with China. Our economic relationship with China, I believe, ultimately, is to use a finance term, it's almost like too big to fail. Mm -hmm. These are the two economic superpowers. If we stop doing business with each other, the global economy is going to be in trouble. Russia, we don't need that much from Russia economically, right? We need to be able, I think an ideal relationship with Russia is to compartmentalize and say, for example, we are never going to agree with you about Crimea. We are never going to join you in recognizing Abkhazia and South Ossetia as independent uh, states because the American position will remain that they are part of Georgia, which is the most countries in the world see it that way, including mm -hmm. most all the European Union countries. Um, we are never going to support Assad because we think he's a, he's a killer and has committed crimes against humanity. But there are places where we can work together, right, on disarmament, on Iran, on climate change. That would be if we had kind of wise leaders in both countries. I, I don't think we have that now. The 
the China-Russia relationship is complicated here because China buys a lot of natural resources, particularly energy resources, from Russia. And if you look at those deals, they're pretty good deals for, for China. Mm-hmm. So China doesn't want Russia saying, we're cutting off deals with China. That would be bad for China's economy. On the other hand, Russia's got to sell that somewhere. Right. So and China's a huge market. What do you think is the best hope now that this uh, initial summit has happened? What would happen now is representatives from both countries would meet over a series of weeks and months to talk out specifics yeah, I mean, on different things? That, that's kind of foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Is you, you pass it down to the, uh, to the staff level. What makes this strange here and, and, and the kind of asymmetry is that one has the feeling that if Putin brought in Lavrov and said, listen, I'm going to debrief you. Here's what happened. Here's what I want you to do. That would be a, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't, I don't share Putin and Lavrov's opinions on the world, but that would be a cohesive structure. Right. If Trump brought in, say, Pompeo and Mattis and Bolton and said, listen, here's what happened. I'm not sure you could even tell them what happened. But the policies that they're going to follow are very different than the ones that come out of that meeting because mm-hmm. they have their own agenda, which is more or less in the mainstream, a little hawkish, but in the mainstream of American foreign policy views on Russia. So it is, where, where, where this gets to be a hiccup for, for the Russian president is once it gets down to staff, because Pompeo's not going to give away the farm the way Trump is. What about um, Trump's reaction, initial reaction to these indictments of of these of the twelve Russians in the hacking of the of the twenty sixteen election? His first reaction on Twitter, at least, seemed to be to. Um, place the blame on President Obama and his administration saying this happened on his watch. He apparently knew about it in September and did nothing ab- about it. Um, if I walked over to the subway to go home, even though I rode my bike, but if I were to take the subway home and I was in the subway station and the end train was late showing up mm-hmm. and I happened to run into Donald Trump and say, gee, the end train is late showing up, and he would say to me, the subways got screwed up under President Obama. Right. Uh-huh. This is kind of his answer his to MO. anything. Now, I don't want to be a, 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 a wise-ass about this, if I may. So, so I'm going to give a little more depth to that, to that answer. It's not really true. President Obama tried to do something. What he tried to do was to make this public. He also did put more sanctions on Russia at the time. That's right. But what happened was Mitch McConnell particularly, but also the leadership of Congress, said, if you do this, we will say that you're trying to sway the outcome of the election. So the Republican leadership in Congress decided that it was better to win with Putin than lose without him. And I will let your listeners decide what label they want to put on that kind of action. So you're assuming here that people within the Republican Party at the highest ranks knew of the hacking as well. Even the Republican congressional leadership. I don't know if the RNC chair knew or something, but the mm-hmm. other Republican congressional leadership, which is de facto at that time the highest ranks, yes. So now we are we have the midterm elections upon us. Yes. Do you expect anything to be different this time around? Um, no, in that, I mean, look, I, I expect the Democrats will win the House and, not, and the Republicans will hold the Senate. But in terms of the activities of, of Russia... You know, we, the American people, are a little smarter about this, right? Everyone I know on Twitter, you always know when you're being baited by some Russian bot and you, and you ignore it. I assume, I don't want to assume too much, but I assume that the DNC has a little better Internet security. You I don't would think, hope. I would hope. I don't think John Podesta's clicking on any emails these days <laughs> and say, hey, you need to change your password. Right. But we, are, we have 50 states, and most of those states, many of those states, have at least one contested congressional race and numerous contested state legislative races. Yep. And members who are, let's say you're running for Congress in, a, in North Carolina, Missouri, wherever, Illinois, in a swing district, that campaign operation may not have the security 
of the DNC. So I expect there to be more of this. I expect our defenses to be stronger, but not perfect. But importantly, those defenses are coming from parties and candidates who are putting, trying to put a better tech firewalls. You know, I'm not a tech person, but right. rather than what we should be doing is passing laws. Because this is, a, this is a problem. It's a national security problem. National security problems should be addressed at the federal level of our federal government. What, what baffles me is that if I were whispering in Donald Trump's ear, which I would, wouldn't be doing, but if I were, the first thing I would have said after you won is that you need to, as soon as you become president, set up a bipartisan elect, uh, panel to address and look at this problem because otherwise it's, it will bring you down eventually and, and we, it will bring the country down. We also have, uh, since all of this became public, uh, companies like Facebook saying they're doing more to yeah. make sure that Russian bots can't take control over their algorithms. Um, but do you think that just the fact that Americans are a little bit smarter than they were during the presidential election is going to be enough? No, I didn't say it was be enough, but you asked me if anything was going to change. Mm. I don't think it'd be enough. And I also, you know, what what strikes me is that even if Facebook and Twitter and Instagram start trying to be a little more alert to what's actually going on out there, what, and I don't want to blame everything on Moscow, but we now have a country where a good proportion of the population spends an hour on the day of the day each day yelling at each other over social media. And that is not, that is difficult in a democracy to sustain that. We also have the most, I think the most impactful thing that Donald Trump has done in terms of communication uh, since becoming president is persuading his base that if it is critical, it is fake news. Mm -hmm. So that short of Donald Trump and Mike Pence holding a joint press conference and announcing, you know what, we work with Russia to help steal this election and we're sorry. And that's a fan, that's never going to happen, right? <laughs> short of that happening, the opinion of that 35% is never going to change. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I don't want to be too partisan about this, short of Nancy Pelosi and, you know, Adam Schiff, and let's pick some non-Californians, some non Chuck Schumer holding a, and Hillary Clinton holding a joint press conference saying, you know what, we made this whole thing up because we're bad losers, <laughs> right, which also is never going to happen. The 35% of the country who just take it as axiomatic that Trump uh, conspired with Russia right. will never change their views. Now, one of those sides is right, probably. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Well, I know which. And we, we do know which. We know it's, it's, the, it's the people who believe he conspired. But, but these, these positions are so dug in, and you can't shine truth on them anymore. Mm -hmm. That creates a real problem for democracy. I don't think that can be blamed entirely on Russia and on Putin or on Putin. So you're saying a lot of that blame belongs to the Trump administration? No, I'm saying a lot of, belongs to, a lot of that blame belongs to the – I don't want to say – actually, I would rather not to use the word blame. I would say – that a lot of that has happened mm -hmm. because of the deep erosion of democratic institutions, because of some historical and political developments that were unanticipable, but that really changed things, mm -hmm. because of some of the tech breakthroughs that, that really changed things. I mean, I, you, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Facebook was a place where you posted pictures of your kids playing Little League or something, right? Yes. Now, as, as the uh, social critic Greg Proofs has said, Facebook is a place where elderly Americans look at pictures of their grandkids, mm -hmm. and then Nazis post propaganda, right? I mean, that was not, I don't know that that's how Mark Zuckerberg anticipated right. this going, but that is where we are. I mean, uh, it's exaggeration, but it's, yeah. Right, right. Um, so your hope for, for, for the midterm election, well, I know your hope would be, like all of ours, is that there would be no meddling, no interfering by any, any foreign entity, but do you think the Russians will 
sit this one out. I want to add just another thing about my hope in a nonpartisan sense. I hope for this midterm election that all Americans are allowed to vote without being harassed mm -hmm. and that additional barriers are not put up for some voters who happen to skew non-white and younger. And we're seeing those laws being passed in the states, some, st some states, not all states, and we're seeing a Justice Department that's supporting those laws. So that's also troubling. That also has very little to do with Russia. Absolutely. Um, I expect Russia to be involved in this election, sure. I expect them to be... Why, why wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. What's stopping them what's is what you're what's saying. Them, but what's the disincentive? Like, why wouldn't they? Hey, it worked last time. It's going to work. You know, if you use it or you lose, if you're Russia, you're saying if we don't get involved this time, we may not be able to get involved in 2020. So, yeah, I would, of course, expect Russia to be involved. Is it going to make the difference? I, I don't know. It's harder to say when there's 435 House races right. and, you know, right. 33, 34 Senate races. Well, so, Lincoln, if people want to uh, hear more from you or, or read about what you're doing, how can they find out this information? Well, my website is www.lincolnmitchell.com, and I, I put my blogs up there. I'm kind of finishing a book right now, so I'm not writing as much as I usually do. But What's the book about? This book is about San Francisco in 1978. It's about baseball, politics, and punk rock in San Francisco in 1978. Um, there's a lot to dissect there. There's a lot to dissect there, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Lincoln Mitchell. All right, Lincoln, thanks so much again for joining us on this podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.